from Coimbra to Colombia, from Morocco to Miami. We tell the stories of the people who make the world of international law and business turn. We give glimpses into their lives and provide insights from their experience. These accounts come from every sector and every industry around the globe. Simply put, without further ado, I am Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. T-O-T is back. All right. Hello there, and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal, the show where practice meets personality. I am your host, Chris Campbell. If you are new to the show, welcome. Glad to have you here as part of Team T-O-T. And I can promise you, every episode does not include me singing nor vague Backstreet Boys references. No, instead we focus on telling the tales and stories from people around the world of international law and business. And this week, we continue with not only one, but two trends that have been occurring this season. This week, we have two guests. The first, longtime listeners of the show will recall from season one, and, well, a number of things that we do here at TOT. It is Mandy Lee from Careers in Arbitration, who is one of our guests. She stops by the studio to catch up and give us some updates on what she's been up to since her season one appearance. And she brings with her another friend of the show, Kabir Dugal, of a number of different initiatives, but we talk about one of his new initiatives, Racial Equality for Arbitration Lawyers, real. His PhD studies and get into his background, his path into international dispute resolution. Then, similar to our episode with the Arbitration Station, we all come back together for a conversation about their own program, Tag Time, which is hosted by another Team TOT favorite, Delos Dispute Resolution. Hey, Hafez, which absolutely exploded since they launched it last year in the midst of the pandemic. They are also wrapping up their season three, and if you haven't tuned in previously, you absolutely should. Anyway, without further delay, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Amanda, a.k.a. Mandy Lee and Kabir Dugal, and we'll talk with you after the show. Hello and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, here to tell you another story or stories. That's right, hint, hint, from the wide, wide world of international law, dispute resolution, and business. And with me today, I have a blast from the past. Someone that we had on the show way back in the ye olden days of season one. You have seen her in a number of events and things that we have done in the last couple of years. I'm speaking, of course, of the woman behind careers in arbitration, Miss Amanda Lee. Mandy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me back, Chris. Of course, it's good to have you here. And I understand that you have brought a guest along today with you um, that we'll be talking to in a later segment. Who'd you bring with you? Moment of truth, the suspense is almost too much. Who, who else could I bring but my very own tag time partner in crime, the one, the only Dr. Kabir Dugal. Oh, snap. Well, great. And we'll have to, well, we're, Kabir is uh, waiting just outside the digital studio. We'll get him here in just a few moments. But before we get into that and talking about what tag time is and all of those types of things, Mandy, we wanted to take a second to catch up with you. So when we last caught up, the world had never heard of COVID-19. Um, we met in London and it was, I think, mid summary 2019. What have you been up to? in the days since? 
well, far too much, I fear, but just not enough hanging out with you, Chris, unfortunately. So, you know, we, we, need, we need to get rid of this accursed pandemic so we can catch up in London or Portugal or beyond. Um, otherwise, more teaching, more sitting as an arbitrator, more sharing vacancies on careers in arbitration, still not enough sleep. Yeah, well, no, sure. And, that, and that's that's a, a lot, a mouthful. You're absolutely right. Well, because of global lockdowns, we haven't had a chance to, to catch up properly. So you careers in arbitration was just, you know, perhaps not just starting, but it, it was kind of new still back in 2019. Um, Things have changed or have gone on since then. What has careers in arbitration been doing? Keeping me busy, <laughs> to put it bluntly, keeping keeping me busy. Uh, during the pandemic in particular, I tried to use careers in arbitration as a sort of, I guess, a replacement for the endless stream of conferences and events that we normally occupy ourselves with. So I dug into the digital archives and started sharing a load of um, lectures and keynotes from days gone by under the hashtag arbitration fix. So if you want an arbitration fix, if you have an hour to spare, just log into LinkedIn, put in the hashtag arbitration fix and you'll you'll get all these fantastic speakers sharing their wisdom from years years gone by, some real treasures. And that's absolutely true. Um, you know, you can go down quite a digital rabbit hole if you click on arbitration fix and you'll just, you know, find yourself scrolling and scrolling uh, for all the associations. And I will say, Mandy is far too humble um, you know, so she talks about arbitration fix. She talks about careers in arbitration. But, you know, I will tell you, listeners, if you haven't had the benefit yet, Mandy gave um, what I thought was a fantastic keynote address earlier this year. I have intentionally sort of left it as a cliffhanger. Mandy, can you tell us um, more about that keynote, what it was like to prepare and all those sorts of things? I, I would be uh, very happy to do so, Chris. Thank you for the kind uh, introduction to my keynotes. I had the honor of delivering the uh, Chartered Institute of Arbitrators International Women's Day keynote. I am probably quite well known for my ability to mix pop culture with um, topical issues in international arbitration. So I managed to mix Star Trek, who, who doesn't love a little bit of Star Trek, with um, socioeconomic diversity, gender diversity, racial diversity, geographical diversity, and much more under the tagline, essentially, uh, resistance is futile. It's the future. So we, we need to stop resisting it. Gender equality is coming, guys and girls. Let's, let's get on with it. Well, that's right. And uh, for those of you that haven't heard it, it's available on the web, I think on YouTube, but it's certainly worth taking a listen and, uh, and, and finding it. So, so beyond that, you mentioned, you know, some arbitrator work, some counsel work. Um, what are some of the things that, to the extent you can talk about it, that you've been doing uh, that have been keeping you interested, if not just busy? Well, perhaps perhaps I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, some of the some of the projects and things I've been involved in, rather than um, inflicting my arbitrator practice on your listeners. <laughs> um, I I mean I've had I've had some wonderful opportunities during the pandemic in particular. I had the pleasure of being interviewed by the fabulous Victoria Pert of my arbitration, who's kind sure. enough to let me share some thoughts on socioeconomic diversity with her. Uh, Careers in Arbitration collaborated with the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators to develop a virtual ADR experience program for students with the help of the talented folks at Forage. So if you're a student and you haven't had a chance to check that one out yet, please do go and go and have a look, sign up and give us your feedback. We look forward to hearing that. I did another keynote for a group called Mediate Guru. I sit on their advisory board and that gave me the opportunity to discuss mediation while indulging my love of the golden age of magic. 
So I got to perform a magic trick live on air. So there you go, one to cross off my uh, keynote bucket list. Okay, but what was the, the magic trick? Can you tell us the secret? It was a it was a card trick. Um, basically, in the same way as the mediator always has to get to the heart of the matter, the Ace of Hearts has this really annoying habit of always coming back to the top of the pack. And so I demonstrated that live on air. And there is a video out there. So if you want to see me doing magic tricks, you can find that on the internet somewhere. Okay. No, and that that, that is really cool. And, and amongst that litany of sort of just interesting little uh, things that, that Mandy has been doing, she also didn't mention the fact that she's like, also a pretty good photographer and like literally won a, photo a photography contest over the past year. Can you talk about that? I, I can, absolutely. I I did, I, I won, I think the, the fifth annual international lawyers photography competition. The theme was travel and of course, mindful that we've been in the middle of a pandemic, the furthest I've been able to travel was to Hampstead Heath, which is basically across the road from my apartment in London. So I, sent in a photograph of um, one of the ponds on Hempstead Heath and said, look guys, this is as far as I can travel. So come on, this is consistent with your theme. And I was, I was privileged to win the competition. So I get, I, I get to go to Portugal and come and come and visit you, Chris, one day. So that'll be, that'll be rather nice. So at some point I will be heading, heading to Portugal for my, my prize, which is, which is fantastic. So I've, I've had, um, I've had the opportunity to take a few more photographs during lockdown as well. So it's been, um, it's been, it's a really fun way to sort of de-stress and do something a little bit creative. Well, sure. No. And I, I was, you know, when you, you or maybe the organizers tagged me in a post about it last year, I was like lawyers and photography. I mean, what kind of mixture is that? And then, you know, little, little did I know it was the whole thing. <laughs> um, I just the lucky shot, to be honest. I, it was the perfect lighting. It was, you know, it was one of one of my you know late night walks with my walking buddy Nor Kadim, who I will give a little shout out to now in the middle, interrupting the format, as I know we normally leave those to the end. Oh, that's all right. Look, hey, look, we we like to be flexible, you know, no set standard um, for for the show. Um, one thing that I would be curious about is uh, this this title, this project that you and I and Shvinya are working on. Um, Arbitration Idol. I heard that um, a season two might be right around the corner. Can you tell us anything about that? It's a vicious rumor. It, it is a vicious rumor. It's been circulating. It's. I don't know who started it. I, I think it was Svenja. I, I, I reckon she started the vicious rumor that maybe there was going to be a second season. Uh, no, the, the rumors are indeed true. It's fantastic. Um, we're going to have season two. We've got a really great lineup, which we have not uh, previewed yet, but we're really looking forward to sharing that with you all. We've got some wonderful supporting organizations as well behind us this year. We're looking forward to raising some more money for UNICEF. We're very grateful to our next batch of arbitration all-stars who are going to be kindly donating some of their time to have a virtual coffee break in arbitration with our lucky winners. And please do stay tuned. You can follow Arbitration Idol on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. You'll see them on Careers and Arbitrations feed, the Tales of the Tribunal feed and the Digital Coffee Break and Arbitration feed as well. It's gonna be like wall-to-wall -wall coverage of Arbitration Idol season two. So please do stay tuned. Please do contribute, every little helps. Help us do something good. We're a community and we like being able to help people. So thank you for donating. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess, you know, for, for your listeners, and this will timestamp when this is being recorded, it's, it's May 31st, you know, so um, there is on the horizon a sort of pathway outside of the pandemic to a world beyond 
uh, really tragic and terrible parts that were 2020. The question that remains, that comes to mind with that sort of setting the context is on the other side of the pandemic or perhaps for the rest of 2021, what are you looking forward to? Uh, what 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 is on your to-do list? I'm really, really looking forward to actually being able to travel somewhere else again one day. I, I had the really surreal experience of being an arbitration lawyer without a passport during lockdown for like the first time in my life. I didn't have a passport because my passport expired. I just felt like somebody had cut my arm off. It was really, really, really strange. I think if there's one thing the pandemic has brought into stark relief, it's the fact that life is short and precious. It's too short to waste time doing things we don't really enjoy. So it's important that we take on board that lesson and we make sure that we use the coming months and years to leave a little bit of time, carve a little bit of time out to pursue those passion projects that we might not have thought it was a good idea to pursue previously. Um, in, in my case, I, I've, I've, I'm pursuing something completely random. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've started doing a, or I'm about to start doing a course in a completely random topic, which I'm, I'm not going to share with your listeners at the moment, Chris, but you know what it is. So um, it's, uh, I, I've decided to do something completely different that has nothing to do with um, international dispute resolution. Well, it does have something to do with dispute resolution, I suppose, but it's, it's just, making time to do those things. And um, why not, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know, so uh, at some point I'll stick it on LinkedIn where I like to, you know, break all my news. So um, yes, my future career, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first on Tales of the Tribune. That's right. Hard hitting news and breaking coverage, cliffhangers, all of those types of things. Um, well, Mandy, so, you know, thanks for that, that, that quick catch up. I'm sure our listeners missed, uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. And especially when we posted that you were going to be on the show again, I'm sure that they're tuning in for the segment. Um, now, uh, what, what do you say we take a little break and uh, we, we switch you out with, uh, with your tag time party, you can tag them in um, and we have uh, Kabir stopping. Uh, does that work for you? Can you hang out? Of course. All right. And listeners, we'll be back to you in just one moment. Hey, you there, listener, you got a sec? Well, we've got just about 60 seconds. I have a big favor to ask you before we jump into the next part of the show. You can even do this while I'm talking. You ready? Go to the Tales of the Tribunal landing page, i.e. wherever you clicked play to hear this week's episode. If you're on Apple or Google Play, either it will come up straight away or you'll scroll down all the way to the bottom of your feed and you should see an option to leave us a review. We'd love it if you left us a five-star rating, and we literally would love it if you gave us a one-sentence comment or review. Doing this helps new listeners find the show, and it boosts the show in the algorithm. So we've got about uh, 10 to 20 seconds left. Take a moment and please leave us a rating and a review. We have tons of listeners around the world, and if even a quarter left ratings and reviews, it would make a huge difference. Anyway, thanks, and back to the show. Right, so listen, we have a newcomer to Digital Studio, someone, the man, legend, you may have heard of him from other events, things that have been parallel or tangential to Tales of the Tribunal. We work together at Real um, and on a number of other things. I speak to you today of who Mandy mentioned in her segment, 
Mr. Or should I say Dr. Kabir Dugal. Kabir, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Delighted to be here. You know, I look at international arbitration as being a community, a family. I am so honored to be on a show hosted by you. You and I are collaborating on a million things. And of course, with my partner in crime, somebody whom I've known, I think, I would proverbially say, at least from another lifetime, Amanda Lee Mandy. Uh, it's really a delight to be here. Well, absolutely. And, you know, in, in the moment, you know, and this is one of my favorite things about doing these sort of a team up or a multi-person shows is that the, the final segments are always so much fun. We got everyone in here. Um, but uh, but but thank you for being here, Kabir. And, um, you know, so for the listeners, yeah, Kabir and I have literally been collaborating um, like in parallel and then perpendicular. And we finally like, actually met over the past few years. Um, but what I'd like to do is to take a step back and, you know, introduce the audience to um, who are you, where are you from, what do the people need to know? Awesome. Those are all the difficult questions, I think, right? Somehow when you ask questions in arbitration, those tend to be easy. But talking about oneself is always hard. Well, to quote Sound of Music, let us start at the very beginning. Uh, I am Kabir. I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. So I grew up in the Middle East, lived in a couple of the countries there. And I'm of Indian origins and did my university and higher education in India, moved to the UK for a master's and then to the US. And I think, Chris, you know, this is a reality a lot of us sort of live. You know, I eavesdropped your conversation with Mandy, right? We live with our passports, right? We're constantly traveling. We're constantly experiencing different realities. I think that's what makes us an international lawyer. Uh, I currently work at Arnold and Porter in New York City, uh, and I teach at Columbia Law School. Um, I think that's probably a high level, what I did, where I am. <laughs> of course, happy to answer any further questions. Uh, but I think this would be a neat summary. Sure, no, and um, and I appreciate that. That gives us a, a number of roads, <clears throat> a number of roads to sort of go down. Um, let's rewind just a bit. Um, you told us the beginning and the now, and the now where you are in your story. Um, why, where did you go to school? I mean, why why did you want to become a lawyer in the first place? Sure. Uh, so I. Studied in India, the UK, and the US. I'm actually currently studying for an exam for my doctoral degree. And it is a very painful process because you know you have to get back into examination mode. You have to read books and summarize them and write memos that professors quiz you on. But I grew so I went to the University of Mumbai in India, the University of Oxford in the UK. NYU School of Law in the US, and I'm pursuing my doctoral degree from Harvard Law School. Why did I become a lawyer? Uh, I think there were a couple of reasons. I, I, unlike a lot of people, decided to do law later in my life. And by that, I mean, you know, I had intended you know, to potentially do accounting or do finance. Uh, when I started studying that, I realized this is awful. I hate this. <laughs> and that, you know, sort of moment when you have your quarter life crisis and you're figuring out 
what makes you happy? I came to the realization that, you know, I like writing, I like speaking, I like debating, I like arguing. Hmm, what profession combines these skill sets? Voila, I decided to enter law school. Uh, and I really enjoyed, I have enjoyed the process of being in law school and being a lawyer. Well, sure, and um, and that that's a great sort of um, sort of insight into to why you pursued the path of a lawyer, so to speak. Um, what about those first few steps into that career path made that drew you to international law, international arbitration, and dispute resolution? What was that like? Thank you, Chris. I think this is this is such an interesting question. You know, what drew you to this field? Just to be quite candid, you know, when I was in law school, my interest was human rights, was social justice. That's what I really wanted to do. That's what I wanted in job. That, that's what I considered to be my true calling. Now, you know, I had moved as an immigrant to the UK, like most students, you know, surviving largely on ramen noodles, came to the US, same reality again. Uh, but it was close to graduation that I had to realize what am I going to do with my life? And by that, I mean, uh, I mean, what is going to give me a steady paycheck and a visa to stay in the country? Right? This is another reality that all of us who keep moving around have to think about. And one of my professors, a mentor for life, advised me, why don't you do international dispute international arbitration. You can combine your interest in human rights and social justice along with something that will still fit broadly within your area of interest. That's how I sort of found myself entering into the field of international arbitration. Uh, in, in hindsight, I cannot, you know, when I look back at my career, I cannot imagine today doing anything else because I feel being an international lawyer lets you do human rights work, lets us do social justice work. And you know, you can make a difference in some senses through your dispute resolution work. So overall a happy lawyer. <laughs> no, and that, that that's great. Um, you know, so too many of our, our brethren and sister and in-law find themselves unhappy. Um but piggybacking right off that, I mean, what do you think you'd be doing if you hadn't become a lawyer? Chris, I think I would have either joined a nonprofit or I would have entered into diplomacy. Now, I think the reality again has changed because my nationality has changed. Right? I'm currently a citizen of the US. Prior to this, I was born in Saudi Arabia, had an Indian passport. Yes, if we had to go back, depending on how far we go back. I would either be working for the Indian government or for the U.S. government. Well, and overlapping with that a bit, and especially uh, with the, the idea of working for a nonprofit, I mean, you know, you're, maybe you're not working for a nonprofit, but you literally started one with uh, friends of the show, uh, Rekha Rangachari and Krina Baltag, um, racial equality for arbitration lawyers. Can you tell us all about that? Sure. And let me give a shout out both to you and to Mandy, because both of you are critical members of real so i cannot but acknowledge the valuable role that both of you have played there sure happy to talk about real and chris 
you're an integral part of real, so you should feel free to chime in as you deem appropriate too. The diversity has come into the focus for the past decade or so, right? It started with gender diversity. You know, if you look at bodies like arbitrary women, the equal representation pledge, they've done a very successful and effective job by putting the spotlight on gender issues. And this is not to suggest that gender is addressed. It's still a far, far, far away from that reality. But it is absolutely. Yeah. Chris, I don't think we can have a manual today. I don't think that's going to happen. And if it mm -hmm. does, it's not going to be a moment of pride, right? It's not going to be something we celebrate. Uh, last year, just looking at the events that started in the US, although I think the phenomenon is a global one, they suddenly entered the spotlight, right? We realized the inequities that exist in society that relate to race exist in our profession. And it is deeply troubling, especially for us as international lawyers, to be in a practice that has international in its title, but doesn't appear to be international. It doesn't appear to be reflective of society at large. This sort of led a lot of us both you and Mandy included, right? To think about what we can do as lawyers to try and put race a little bit on the spotlight, to put it on people's public conscience. But when you're thinking about arbitration, you're thinking about gender, you're thinking about race. Uh, you know, we're using race as a entry point, but we're not restricted to race. You know, this is something I know all three of us have spoken about, you know, for us, issues relating to socioeconomic realities are equally important. If you add in poverty, along with race or with gender, you're probably finding yourselves in the worst of both worlds, right? Because you're fighting an economic challenge as well as a social challenge. So we're looking at real really as a focal point to try and change how people think about race in our international practice. I'm going to get off my soapbox and pass it to you, Chris. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about how you look at real. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and, and this is a, you know, a huge box to open because I, I think we could easily take up all the time we have today talking about the, the importance and the gaps that still exist in the field, not just um, in, in countries like the United States and the United Kingdom, where we might be most uh, familiar with just from our own backgrounds, but, you know, all over the world that, you know, sometimes even when it comes to a topic like racial or ethnic or cultural diversity, there's really this sort of temptation to only think of it as a, quote, black or white issue when there's all sorts of different complexities and nuances um, therein. And I think that cascading with the socioeconomic issues, you know, the question of have you really created an avenue or a pathway for someone to come into the field when you when those opportunities are put on shelves that are above their economic reach? I mean, it's it's the same as not having any option when when those types of things are are, are real. Uh, so sorry, the real puns are, are, are always every time I'm in a meeting or in a post, I have to make a real pun. <laughs> That's good to hear. Real talk. 
real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, 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 you know, one last point that I would want to ask you about real before we, um, before we leave that there is, um, well, I guess it's a two-part question. One, how can people get involved with real? You know, if they've hear, you know, this interview where they see something about real online, um, how do they, how can they get involved? Sure. So the easiest way to get involved is look at our website. Let's get real Let's get real or look us up on LinkedIn. Again, you know, Chris, this just echoes to the point we spoke about, you know, we look at access, access to knowledge, access to information, and a huge shout out here to Mandy, right? Careers in arbitration is possibly the largest repository for anything arbitration related, right? Knowledge is power. Uh, so I encourage everyone to look at careers in arbitration and sign up there. It's again a free service. Real 2 is a free service because we need to make avenues open to everybody and anybody who wants to participate, join in. Uh, talking about access and socioeconomic access, something that we really try to do, we try to reach out to organizers of events and have them give us scholarships. So to date, you know, we launched on Martin Luther King Day this year. To date, we've given about 30 different scholarships. And just look, none of us individually can solve the issue of inequality or solve the issue of, you know, the, the problems related to diversity. Every step of this nature, giving people through avenues like careers in arbitration or real avenues, is slowly, slowly chipping away at inequality. And we're making our profession a little more equal, a little more open. So I'll stop here again, passing it back to you. Well, sure. And, you know, I, I thought that, we, you know, the questions were going to wrap up with real there, but I would... Uh... It, the answer that you just gave, I guess, kind of um, brought just a couple of more that I would love to to get your thoughts on. Well, at first, is not this one's not even as much of a question as it is just an opportunity to sort of mention. I understand, and for the listeners at home, uh, you should know, Real actually just announced a couple of initiatives. Um, one of which being scholarship program, and Kabir, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, and maybe that kind of dovetails into a proper question, and that's what's next for Real? What's next on the calendar that people should be keeping their eye open for? Definitely, definitely, Chris. So I think, you know, we're constantly giving scholarships out. Just look at our LinkedIn page. Generally, we give like a week. You know, we put a brief criteria. We don't want to make this onerous for any, anybody and everybody. So unless the organizers insist that we get bank statements, we don't ask for things of that nature. We try to keep it simple. Uh, we're right now in the process of expanding real to committees with people from all over the world, right? The idea, I think, Chris, ultimately will be to have a lot of regional slash local chapters that can host events as needed in local languages that can work, you know, with people on the ground, right? That's how you make real into a real international but grassroots movement. That's what we would like to see it ultimately becoming. 
Uh, so that's something I think we're in the process of announcing right now. Uh, we're also partnering with arbitral institutions, arbitral organizations. So far, about 85 institutions from all over the world have, in spirit, partnered with real. Right? Our eventual hope, and this is something that you know this, Chris, we have spoken about it. Mandy knows this because we have sought Mandy's advice. You know, Mandy is one of the ambassadors for real. And this is something we're looking eventually to start tracking racial progress. Now, Chris, you know, in an international practice, this is a little tricky, right? What does it mean to be, uh, to be black in Africa? What does it mean to be brown in, 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 in Africa? I would submit, and this is my own bias, so I acknowledge it. If you're brown or black, you're still disadvantaged, even if you're in Asia or Africa. This is my humble <laughs> But, you know, we need to come up with a parameter that is sensitive to realities globally. I think tracking progress and tracking change. The way we can see arbitral women has so effectively done and the equal representation pledge is so, so effectively done, we'd like to do something similar for race. So that's something in the world, but a longer term project. Okay, no, and I, that, I think that's well stated. And, you know, uh, I, I will shift after the, this this final kind of just thought. When in your mind do you would you consider real a success or will you think that it has achieved what it's set out to do? Um, is there any sort of benchmark or metric that um, comes to mind for you? Uh, you know, Chris, this is such a great question. <laughs> you know, I, I look at law as just being a reflection of society. And so long as we're going to have inequality in society, we're a reflection of society, we're going to have problems in our feet. What would I consider to be an absolute moment of success? when we come to a stage where we're truly in a racially and gender neutral society. Do I see that happening in my lifetime? I think the answer is probably no. But do I think we need to be fighting and we need to be making efforts to make things better? I think yes. So, I mean, success is a very hard question because you know, we have given scholarship to somebody from Brazil who reached out to us telling us his background as the first generation indigenous lawyer, which we did which we were not aware about. But you hear the expression of gratitude and the expression of appreciation from someone like that. And you think immediately at that moment, real is a success. We're exactly doing what we want to do, right? We want to be trying to give opportunities to people who deserve it, but are somehow not finding an avenue to get into our profession. So sure. I, I put the macro and my micro. These it's these small moments that we have to celebrate, Chris. Absolutely, no. Um, every win adds up to uh to the wave uh, of success and momentum that is a, a movement. So that that's fantastic. Um. So we talked a little bit about talked about your uh, your counsel work. We've talked a little bit about uh, the fact that you're an arbitrator and neutral, and we've talked about your philanthropy. What are there any other projects or anything else that you've got going on 
um, that you want to let folks know about or that you that you, that are keeping you busy these days? <laughs> you know, Chris, <laughs> this is something you will relate to, and I know Mandy will relate to this as well, right? In international arbitration, right, we are constantly go, 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 right? We're always thinking about the next step. We're always thinking about, you know, how we can try and make a difference, how we can do fun things, how we can do cool and interesting things. I just flagged, you know, my academic work is looking at the intersection of arbitration and human rights. And it's an area where I think I'm only scratching the surface, but it's such an interesting area when you look at the intersection of these two fields of law. So www.google.com, search Kabir Tagal, human rights and arbitration, you'll find something to read. Hey, look at that. Again, you know, both you and Mandy out here uh, giving cliffhangers and things to, to, to be watching. So it's homework for my listeners. <laughs> I, um, I mean, listeners can reach out, Chris, and I'm happy to send them any articles that they would like. Some of this is still work in progress, but whatever I have, I'm happy to share it and welcome feedback. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you're thinking about, you know, those same lines a little bit. Um, and so one of the things that you mentioned early, earlier in our conversation, um, what have been some of the guiding forces or role models or influences on your career? Uh, Chris, that's, that's such a great question. You know, let me just start off by acknowledging the role of my parents, my, my, my late father who passed away and my mom who still encourages and supports me. And I'll forever remain grateful to them for, for, for inspiring me, for encouraging me. Uh, who are my mentors? Chris, they have too many to mention. And this is something I always, I always encourage, especially younger lawyers. Have multiple mentors in life. Have people who look like you, have people who are completely different from you. Have people whom you can relate to, have people who are completely unrelatable to you. Have people who are in your same gender, have people who are from the opposite gender. Right now I'm using a binary term, but bear with me for a moment, right? Um, so I would encourage everybody, have have mentors who can advise you in different aspects of life, but also have, have a support network in the form of mentor friends, right? People like you, people like Mandy, people who, when, when you have difficult times, you just text them. This is a support network that is probably going to be able to relate to you in ways that that others who are not lawyers may not be able to relate to. I think I would encourage have a support network of friends as your mentors, have seniors as your mentors, you know, get good thoughts from all sides. That's a very famous traditional Indian thing, right? The noble thoughts come to you from all around. So there's too many people, you know, I, I don't want to give a list because I will inadvertently miss out somebody, but I'm so grateful to have this amazing network of people who love and support me. 
Sure. No, um, absolutely understand that. Don't want to set you up to, to leave somebody off, get an angry email. <laughs> um, one, one a question that should be less controversial. Um, what are you reading right now? I see a lot of books uh, you might have on your bookshelf. Um, what, what, what kind of books are you into these days? Chris, I have my oral exam for my coursework for my PhD right. in July. So most of my reading right now is on methodology and international law. I wish I had something more exciting to share. <laughs> but that is literally what is consuming every waking moment of my life. Okay, no, and I, that look, that's that's fair enough. Um, that, that that's an important uh, bridge that you need to cross. What is the soundtrack to this uh, this training montage? What kind of music um, do you like, or do you, is uh, what you'd like to enjoy? Sure, you, you know, Chris, by by choice, you know, I have decided to try and focus on Indian classical music, and the reason why I do this, in part, is you know. I, my connection to my heritage is quite weak. You know, I don't live in India. Most of my friends are international. So one way I feel you can connect to your culture and your heritage is through music and dance. And while I appreciate this is not a question to suggest somehow that Indian music and dance is better than every other form of music or dance, that is not what I'm suggesting. But I feel this is one way for me to be grounded in my heritage and feel part of something that I consider to be an important part of who I am. So that's that's my short answer. Well, based on that answer, I'm only imagining you only rocking out to Indian music, dancing, crushing it to a uh, to traditional uh, fair. Uh, okay. Uh, uh. All right. Well, I, you know, I know you're studying for your PhD uh, exam. Are there any Netflix shows that are in your library right now? Or are they all sort of stalled out until after the exam? I think it's sort of put on pause for now. I am re-watching HBO's John Adams, mm. right? president of the United States. And I think, you know, if you look at American history, especially when it came to the early presidents, a lot of them did some very amazing things, but a lot of them <laughs> had some very major blind spots. John Adams really, to me, stands out as somebody who was ahead of his time and on the right side of things. He was able to look back what a lot of people of his age were able to consider to be right. To really encourage everybody to learn more about this amazing man and his amazing wife. Right. Who was again years ahead of full time, <laughs> really inspiring people. So. Well, sure. Well, yeah, and it's um, you know, it, it, one of those things that's unique to being an uh, an American citizen and thinking back on American history, that some of the ma most uh, influential and important figures uh, existed. You know, at the exact same time, a stat that blew my mind recently is that um, Harriet Tubman was alive for both Thomas Jefferson and Ronald Reagan's lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And you just kind of, when you realize that, that, you know, it was obviously the end of Jefferson's lifetime, you know, ends up being the third president. But, you know, Harriet Tubman lived so long that, you know, the end of her life, literally Ronald Reagan was, I think, three or four years old. I mean, that, that just puts things in perspective. <laughs> it really does. And it shows how far we have come, but how much still needs to be done and how the struggle is still so real. Absolutely. There's another real pun. But yes, absolutely. Yeah, there you, go. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned this. Another show that I've only seen in part, but I would recommend everybody check it out, is to watch High on the Hog. It's a Netflix. Oh, yes. Uh, that really talks about. So it is a food about. It is a show about food, right? It's talking about African American cuisine really becoming the dominant American cuisine. But it really talks about it off. It talks about it through a lens of of slavery and the legacy of of you know, uprooting people. So I think if you like food, you will have a very rich insight. You also get such a deep sociological understanding of history. And I think the parts of it that I saw really did make me cry the moment when the narrator is in Benin and he's at the point that he saved the ship. It's such a powerful moment. So I do encourage everyone to check that one out too. Well, absolutely. And, um, you know, some of my, my friends and colleagues from back in South Carolina uh, were re recommending me because uh, it, apparently South Carolina is part of the show for, for episode two. So I'll have to take a look. I'm high on the hog. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kabir, you know, our, our time together is, is wrapping up, but there are a couple of more, just the last couple of things I wanted to get your thoughts on before uh, we bring Mandy back and we have this sort of wrap up. Um, if, you know, a student or a recent grad or somebody that's looking to make a transition into the field of international dispute resolution and came to you and asked for advice on how to do that, um, what advice would you have for them? Uh, Christy, that's such a great question. And I think, you know, international arbitration since I entered in has really ballooned into an area that much more interest than they might be abilities for the practice to absorb people in. Uh, with that reality in mind, I would encourage younger people that are interested in arbitration to do arbitration-related things. Now, you may not find a job in arbitration that that may or may not work out. It's just the reality of life. But you can always participate in events. You can hear tales of the trade unit. You can sign up to careers in arbitration. You can write clear arbitration blog posts. Right? Keep your foot involved in the arbitration practice because our careers are long. And, you know, you may be able to change your path to do something that really inspires you. So I would say be optimistic, but take control of things. Don't let life throw you around. Try to take charge of the oars and row your boat to get to where you would ultimately like to end up. So the message is one of optimism. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's great advice. That's... Um... Yeah, those, those are great insights. Um, last question. Kabir, let's say it is 5 p.m. on a Friday. You don't have any more client obligations, no work. It's post-pandemic, and you can do 
in theory, you've got a magic wand, can do whatever you'd like. How are you gonna spend your weekend? <laughs> I don't think I've had one of those days in at least the last five years, like all of us, but, but I think, you know, one of my true passions in life is learning about history and culture. I think I would pick up an interesting book that tells you about different histories, histories from different perspectives, that teaches you about different cultures, socio sociology and anthropology of how different people do things, right? Because we may have superficial differences, but as we all often say in the human rights field, we are all one. So it's good to see the differences at the superficial level, but realize how we are all ultimately connected. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Sounds like a good weekend. Um, well, Kabir, look, uh, do you have time? Can you stay around for a little bit longer? We're gonna bring Mandy back in and we'll, we'll chop it up uh, before we get out of here. Would love that, of course. Always a delight to be with Mandy. Fantastic. All right, so uh, listeners, stand by and we'll be right back after this message. Oh, so you thought this was just going to be Chris saying the same thing every episode about leaving a rating and a review. Well, you didn't realize we have two ad breaks in this week's episode, and I'd have one more note. Already left a review? I'm sure you did. I trust you. You got an honest face. Here's what I would also ask you to do if you haven't done it already. Consider sharing the show with a friend or colleague. You see those three dots next to the arrow or the play button? Yeah, go ahead and tap those. It should have the option to copy or share the show. Jump out of your podcasting app. It won't stop the show. Find a friend that you know likes podcasts or digs international law, business, that kind of thing, or smooth baritone voices, and press paste in a message to them and hit send. That's it. You hit send, and it took like 42.1 seconds, and you win. They win. We all win. All right. We're not going to harp on this. This is the last ad break for this episode. Thank you for sharing the show and leaving a review like I know you did. Let's get back into it. Whew. All right. So two back-to-back quick-draw style uh, conversations. And now we welcome all three, part one and part two of the dynamic duo that is Tag Time. Hey, Mandy, welcome back. Thank you, Chris. Good beer. Thanks for staying around. Delighted to be here. <laughs> All right. So um, listeners have heard in every single segment of this episode and then, of course, in the promotional materials and just it existing now for for a year or so um, about this thing, this enigmatic uh, initiative and phenomenon called Tag Time. Mandy, what is ta- what is Tag Time? What is tag time? Well, how can we possibly capture tag time in just in just one sentence? I mean, uh, tag time is um, is I suppose what is tag time is a question that Kabir normally gets to answer on the show. So you're seeing now why he's in charge of telling everybody what tag time is. Tag time is a webinar series in which we get leaders from the international arbitration community to come along and essentially tackle a substantive topic relating to international arbitration and in between get quizzed by yours truly and my dear friend, Dr. Dugas. Well, Dr. Dugas, 
what is the goal or vibe that y'all try and pull off or aim for for the show? That's such a great question, Chris. I think, you know, we look at Tag Time as an avenue for our listeners to learn about substantive issues in international arbitration. So there is this huge academic component. But this is something I think you will relate to. We want to do it in a format that is fun, that is acceptable, and that is that is a little quirky, right? This is a little bit how Mandy and I both would describe ourselves as being. And so we want the program to reflect a little bit of craziness, a little bit of fun while you're learning. And I think that's the way you learn the best. Sure. Uh, no, I think that that's great. And I think that's exactly the energy, you know, from the kind of like graffiti style ad that you see, um, you know, uh, that, that begs the question, though, tagging. I mean, are you like tagging, you know, our minds and the ethos of international arbitration or where, where did the name come from? Well, essentially, the, the gimmick, as it were, of tag time is that at the end of every show, our guests get to tag their successor in the hot seat to appear on a future episode of the show. So... Basically, if you're a guest on Tag Time, you get to pick somebody else to inflict the same experience upon. So oh. we, you know, this is obviously great for us. So we get to um, we get to have a wonderful series of fantastic guests on our show who all are tangentially connected to each other in different ways. So it is literally a worldwide game of tag. Pretty much. Like it. Like it. Um, uh, Kabir, staying with you for a sec, uh, what are some of your favorite moments from the show? Uh, Chris, I think the thing that's most fun, and I'm sure I speak this on behalf of Mandy, although she's not present with us, but I'm going to speak on behalf, and I, I do this with a lot of competition, right? Men should not be speaking on behalf of women, but I think this is something we will all agree. We like to showcase talent from all over the world. Again, this is in keeping with a general philosophy that international arbitration is international and that there are smart people all around the world. So I think the fact that you're able to go to Nigeria, South Korea, the fact that you're able to go to Latin America and find these amazing people who are able to talk about international arbitration, right? something that I think for me and Mandy, I will defer back to you here, but this is something that really makes the episode very special. Learning from the best, but from the best all around the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Mandy, how about you? Same question. I always say that my favorite part of Tag Time is the bit when Kabir explains to our audience how to ask a question. And I've been saying this right from the beginning. So this is a sort of standing joke. And over the last three seasons, it's evolved from just being Kabir giving the rules to me miming them. And the first time I did a webinar, not a webinar, the first time I did an event with Kabir live, he did these rules for questioning. And I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> this is like the most useful bit of information ever. And so I always I always find that bit very, very funny. Um, I love I love hearing all sorts of fascinating things about our guests that we we get to um, we get to find out all sorts of things about our guests that you don't see on the air so we talk a lot about um, 
people's favorite restaurants, people's local cuisine, you know, what's the best Japanese restaurant in, uh, in Japan? We you know these, these sorts of questions we've had, uh, we had a bowl in the background once that was, that was fabulous. Um, we, we get all, we just get all these fun, all these fun little moments and we, every season we do a special. So we get a group of our, our friends and colleagues from all over the world to come on and end the season with a bit of a, a bit of a splash. So it's, it's been, it's been really great. Listen, I, I, I know this. I saw, oh, tag team, tag time season one. That's a new thing. Mandy Kabir doing it. And now a year later, y'all already at season three. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish Netflix was this fast. <laughs> They've got lessons to learn from us, Chris, I can tell you. They need to get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Mandy, sticking with you for a second, um, dream guests for the show. Anyone that you guys would really love to have on the show? This is revenge because I, I once asked you this question on a webinar. <laughs> so I think this is this is definitely <laughs> revenge. Um, uh, Sundaresh Menon, not using his official title, but we'd I'd love to um, I'd love to have the opportunity to have him on um, Tag Time. So okay. that's, that's one suggestion. <laughs> that's fair. Kabir, same question. I don't know if I have any specific guests in mind. I, I, I do just echo back, you know, I think I find the most fascinating area is when you're able to find people outside your jurisdiction. And some of them have become very good friends. You know, I met Funke Adekoya, for example, on Tag Time, and now she's in real. Now we have collaborated with her in so many projects. Uh, if you ask one name, one name I may give is Melida Hobson. Uh, she's a partner here at Jenner Block, somebody whom I really admire and respect. And her keynote speech uh, from last year, you know, this was an arbitral women event during the New York Arbitration Week, it's really an inspiring speech. So if I had to give one name, it's Melida. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we we we're, we we got to get her on the show on Tales of the Tribunal sometime too. So look, I, I hear you on that. <laughs> um, no, that okay. So, and and this one is for either of you. Um, what advice or tips would you give to someone that's thinking about starting their own show or being a con content creator in the field? Um, because we've seen a lot of uh, uh, new initiatives and content spring up here over the past year. Um, what, what thoughts or, or tips might you have? Be prepared. You. <laughs> Try and come up with a concept that's a little bit novel. There's a great many shows out there and you need to stand out in a, an increasingly crowded field. There's all sorts of fantastic initiatives out there at the moment. So, you know, uh, I, I guess, I think I told you on our last episode, um, that I was on, I, I grew up singing a lot of musical theater. So you got to get a gimmick, I think, would be um, one uh, one sort of. Uh, it's not Hamilton this time, but uh, a bit of musical theater anyway. You got to have some. You got to have some sort of book, something that differentiates your show from other shows, because you're building. Essentially, what you're doing is building a brand, and that means you need to stand out. You, there needs to be something about what you are offering that other people are not doing. It's a bit like having a USP, unique selling point. What are you doing that other people aren't doing? Are you doing something substantive? Are you doing something that's got a bit of a 
you know, a bit of a novelty to it. Have you got Kabir on your show? Because I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty much a guarantee it'll be a success. Have you got Chris on your show? Likewise, you know, these are the kind of things to go for. Um, you know, it's it's just important to have that vision and to execute it well. You're going to be sending a lot of emails as well, so be prepared for a torrent of emails. Be prepared for things to go wrong at the very last minute. Make sure that you have technical backups in place. These things happen. It's the way it's the way in which technology works. You will have that day where, for some reason, your internet connection has just frozen out on you, and you can't hear what your guest is saying. But that's okay because you will have backups in place. So be prepared, plan, get Kabir on your show, and you'll be fine. Yeah, um, and you know, I'm going to ask that same question to Kabir, but before doing that, um, I, I would just follow up with you, Mandy. Um, do you think that the world reopening and people not being cooped up in their houses will will have any effect on the type of programming either i mean not necessarily just you know the types of shows that we do but in terms of how webinars or similar events are are held uh, do you think that'll have any effect on that i think that um our community is suffering from a little bit of a, a case of webinar fatigue I don't think it's controversial for me to say that. I think that there's a definite, uh, a definite case of webinar fatigue. I get this because I did a survey just before Christmas on careers and arbitration, um, or just before New Year's, and said, "What's your New Year's resolution?" Is your, you know, one of the options was, "Are you going to, are you going to attend more webinars?" Nobody, in, of all the people who, who answered that question, nobody said, "Hey, I want to attend more webinars next year." And you know what? I don't think any of us want to attend webinars every day and you could you could easily do a webinar every day. What I'm hoping we will see is that the ability of participants from all over the world to both speak at and attend events because we 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 create hybrid events. I hope that continues because it feeds into socioeconomic factors. I, I'm not a fan of the pay to play approach where the only people who get to speak at events or attend events, where, which are very important for business development purposes, are those who can actually afford to fly across the world in order to spend you know, six hours sitting in a conference room speaking for 20 minutes on some hot topic. We, need, we, need to, we, we can be better than that as an international field. So I'm hoping that that's what we see in the future. No, absolutely. Well said. Um, and, and Kabir, I guess we can start in reverse order um, on these two. Um, do you do you see a massive change coming or any sort of significant change when it comes to the world reopening and the type of content or programming that might be offered? I mean, I think, Chris, people are now at the stage where we want to meet one another. So I think we will probably see a lot of in-person events happening in the near future when, the lockdowns start easing and people can start traveling more freely. I do think there's something to be said for having virtual slash hybrid models because it does give access in a way in-person meetings simply cannot. So it is an equalizer in that sense. So I do hope it doesn't die out completely. Uh, you know, I think on your First question, what do young people who want to do a show like this do? Tip number one, listen to tales of the tribunal and take notes. But that aside, what would I suggest if you want to do something, listen to what Mandy said. Like think about a unique 
selling point, your USP, and try to leverage off that. But also think generally about having a sustainable system in place that can make sure that you can do something and when you cannot do it, the system doesn't die out with you. So I would just urge people to think about sustainability, durability, right, for whatever initiative you're thinking of being. But go for it. That's what makes our system rich. No, I, I agree. Um, it's 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 exciting to me. You know, um, one of the the shows that's become really popular, and I think she's gonna get tired of us tagging them. Uh, but uh, my arbitration uh, for Victoria Pern, you know, um, she and I recently connected, and I I was just blown away that someone is not only doing audio, but like high quality, like video, like there are like proper production people working on that thing. Um, and so it's it's really impressive when you see people kind of upping the game and and, and doing kind of cool stuff like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we are approaching the end of our time together here, and I, I do have um, just a couple of uh, final questions here, and they are, um, or the first one is, um, what predictions do you have um, for the field going forward? I mean, what do you think uh, are some things you could see happening in the world of international arbitration here over the next five, ten years, whatever time frame you want to set? It's always hard to predict the future, isn't it? Some <laughs> some reactions that I think you may see a lot more, a lot more happening. I think we're going to see greater acceptance of hybrid models for hearing. I think that's a good thing, right? Uh, you know, you're saving on cost, time, all that is to be celebrated. I think we're going to see greater reliance on electronic means as opposed to paper. Again, for the environment, a great thing. I think we're already beginning to see structure points, uh, you know, impacting the arbitral process. The fact that we have document production that can take months, that's ridiculous. The fact that you can have pleadings that are Boxes and boxes and boxes is ridiculous. I think returning back to the first principles of arbitration, right? Let's have an alternative mechanism that is efficient, that is not costly, and that moves forward in a quick, thoughtful manner. I think getting back to some of that, and we're already seeing efforts towards that, it's another optimistic thing I'd like to believe will happen. I can go on with my predictions for good and bad, but I'm going to stop here so we can hear Mandy. <laughs> Thank you, Kabir. I feel like I'm on tag time now. Um, I think video conferencing is definitely here to stay. I, am I the only person who now finds it really weird to talk to anybody on a telephone? Yeah. <laughs> Every single call is now, well, we, we can see each other when we communicate. Why should we only hear each other's voices? Um, so I think video conferencing is definitely, it's definitely bled into the public consciousness in that regard. Um, no doubt in a few years we'll be uh, speaking to holographic projections of our um, opponents. We'll, have, we'll be having a, a real, you know, a, a, a virtual hearing will be, we'll all sort of, um, it'll be rather like playing Fortnite or something like that and we'll all have um, avatars 
within the hearing room and it'll be um very impressive no doubt i don't play fortnite for any voice of doubt my uh, my nephew i don't have the hand-eye coordination for fortnite very likely story Indeed. I'm telling you, I mean, come on, Chris, some of the, some of my hobbies I've shared on this show before, I would have no shame in saying I was a big Fortnite fan if I was, I can tell you. Um, one, one of the things I'm hoping that we will see is a greater acceptance of the fact that it's possible for the next generation to participate in internships without having them physically in your office. We've been able, the big firms in particular, have been able to adapt to a virtual model for their interns. I hope that going forward, law firms take a step back and they go, okay, fine, as long as we can adequately supervise our interns, as long as we're not violating any regulatory rules, as long as we're not, you know, allowing people to practice law without proper supervision and so on and so forth, I'm hoping that such firms will say, all right, fine. Let's stop excluding people from the internship process because we can't get a visa for them. You can't get a visa for them, fine. Virtual internship is an option, paid virtual internship for the avoidance of doubt. I underline this with many, many underlines, paid virtual internship. It, and the, to be honest, it's a, it's a cost saving for the firm as well. So there's really no reason why you wouldn't have a paid virtual internship. So I'm hoping that there is a greater acceptance of the fact that a virtual internship can be acceptable for law firms. Let's, you know, let's make sure that all the talented people out there who may be prevented from taking up opportunities because they can't jump on a plane and travel to DC or travel to London or travel to Paris or whatever are not are no longer prevented from taking up opportunities purely because they can't get a visa or they can't leave their family commitments or they simply fundamentally cannot afford it. I think we can do better. I hope we can do better. That's my that's my optimistic view of the future. Absolutely, and what and I echo all of those sentiments. And what a what a great way, great note and way to to to, to kind of conclude there. Kabir, what are your thoughts? You know, I would I would agree with what Mandy has said when it comes to internships, both in terms of access, but also in the fact that we shouldn't be expected we shouldn't be expecting people who are starting off their careers to work for free. And this is a very serious problem in our field. We have to do better. Big law, small law, or law at large. If you're giving a job to a person, compensate them fairly. So I cannot but agree with Mandy as I always do. Follow what Mandy says. <laughs> <laughs> No, and it's, it's it's and it's well said um, on on both fronts. Well, listen, uh, Kabir, Mandy, um, you know, as it happens when we only have one guest, that the time flies, and so it's gone by doubly quick um, having the the two of you here today. So, so thank you uh, both for stopping by the show. I really appreciate it, Kabir. Likewise, it's been a real delight, a pleasure. I don't know where the time went, as you mentioned. It was just friends having a conversation. And thank you too, Mandy. Really appreciate you having you back again in the digital studio. Thank you very much for putting up with me once more, Chris and Chris's listeners. <laughs> so before we get out of here, one final thing, uh, Mandy and Kabir. Any shout outs, any tips of the cap that you want to give to the listeners or to anyone out there that may be uh, listening to that? An enormous shout out to 
the fabulous Hafez Burji, who is, of course, the president of Delos and our, um, I suppose, our, our tag time patron, as it were, mindful that tag time is a Delos dispute resolution series. So big, big, um, big, big shout out to him. And I appreciate he's a former guest of the show as well. So double, double shout outs. And of course, it would be remiss of me not to mention our arbitration idol partner in crime. Svenja Wachtel of Digital Coffee Break in Arbitration, and a couple of special shout outs to my um, Hampstead Heath walking buddy, Norka Dean, and my Mandalorian viewing buddy, Mercy McBrayer, who is, of course, also a good friend of our Steve. Of course. No, those are all great shout outs. I echo all of those, and we will absolutely tag them in the notes. Kabir, do you have any shout outs or tips of the cap you want to give? Sure. Let me just start off by giving a shout out, as Mandy did to Hafez Virji. He has put up with crazy moments from us, crazy requests. We really, really, really appreciate him for putting up with the craziness. Let me give a shout out to a couple of friends who have really supported me. Again, a friend of Tales of the Tribunal, Rekha Rangachari, my bosses, Maria Shadid and Gayala Garing Flores, you know, my mentor, who is now my co instructor at Columbia, Professor George Berman my SJD supervisor at Harvard, Gerald Newman, and shout outs to Chris Campbell and Amanda Lee, people who make me <laughs> every single moment. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, that, that last one was a surprise. The, the, the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> plot twist. Hey. <laughs> oh, well, I echo all of those sentiments too um and this is a lot of fun and you know some of those folks that you mentioned that haven't been on the show yet we're gonna have to go after them get them on the show um in a later later episode um and unfortunately that is all the time we have for today um mandy do you want to sign us off mandy and kabir you want to sign us off of course all right i am mandy lee and there is no disputing it you're listening to tales of the tribunal and i'm kabir Degas. There is no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thank y'all, and we will see you next time. That was an episode, right? We probably could have talked for another hour plus. So great to have Mandy and Kabir in the studio. And again, you should absolutely head over to Delos's website and check out Tag Time. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Also, I hope you enjoyed our uh, little ads during the transition. Those were fun. And again, we do appreciate whenever you share the show, and especially when you leave us a review. Tales of the Tribunal is produced by Low Beta Solutions. And show music is done by Joshua and Jaden Campbell. Show interns are Matthew Cotherin and Ramatulahi Jalla. Feedback and comments for the show can be left at Tales of the Tribunal at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for Disputes Digest, and that's it for us this week. We'll see you next week for another great episode. We've got just a few episodes left in Season 3. Can you believe it? Nevertheless, don't forget, there's no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared on today or any episode of Tales of the Tribunal is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any person or party for their appearance on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. 
All interviewees appear on an arm's length basis and their appearances should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.